You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. Today, we are actually flipping the script. This is the first time we've ever done this. Normally, I interview a guest and you get to hear from them. Recently, I had the opportunity to go on the Indie Advisor Show with Craig Stuvlin. True Independence is a company that provides back office support to advisory firms that really want to control their own destiny and their own branding. So we've been huge supporters and fans of True, and they have been huge supporters and fans of us from day one. And actually, they were very instrumental in how we ultimately launched Mammoth. So Mammoth was just a natural outgrowth of a financial advisory firm that you'll hear about on this episode where we specialize in serving a lot of really high income doctors around the country. This episode is driven primarily for advisory firms and advisors at those firms, but there will certainly be content for others as well. So thanks so much for listening in and allowing me to flip the script. Hi, and welcome everyone to the Indie Advisor. I'm Craig Stuvlin, your host. I'm the founder and CEO of True Independence. I formed True Independence seven and a half years ago, really as a unique business platform for the entrepreneur fiduciary advisor who really was looking to create their own firm on their terms. Really in that same spirit, I launched this podcast series to bring unique ideas, interesting content, interviewing really unique guests that bring their experience in this industry. And today, I'm just really delighted to introduce to you my guest, Tommy Martin. Tommy is a partner at Vestia Wealth Advisors in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's the CEO of a private equity venture capital firm called Mammoth. We'll talk about both firms a little bit today. But when I think of Tommy, he really epitomizes what I view as taking advantage of what is truly the independent. And there's a difference between independent fiduciary advisors and those that are more captive in other platforms. But uh, I think Tommy and his partners have really, really leveraged their unique uh, abilities by forming their own firm some, you know, four years ago. So welcome, Tommy, to the uh, podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Craig. It's just been a joy to work with you and True Independence and anything we can talk about today to help other advisors gain that confidence, at least the right ones, gain that confidence that they should get out there and be independent. I am very, very excited to do that with you. So I think that's a first good segue. I know you are a a due diligence person. You and your partners worked uh, hand in hand well before forming Vestia. And I think one of the things you really pinpointed on was how are we going to operate as a company? You know, your firm and our firm actually uses the same entrepreneur operating system called Traction. But what led you to that decision and how has that helped you and your partners form and be successful in executing your firm? Yeah, you know, Craig, one of the things I've come to believe is that businesses run better when they have an operating system. You know, we understand that with our computer, whether it's a Mac or a PC, you know, there's an engine under the hood that makes that computer run and run consistently. And there are a lot of different operating systems out there for businesses. You know, there's Vern Harnish with his scaling up. There's the great book of business. You know, I could go on and on. 
We just landed on this concept of traction, the entrepreneurial operating system, as the operating system we wanted to have as the foundation of our company. So even before we were launching, we spent a lot of time going through that process that really looks at the six core fundamentals every business has to have, whether it's data or people, et cetera. It really pushes into how do you build that successful fundamental base of the business so that you can grow on top of that and you can scale on top of that. Yeah, that's great. That, you know, I think really relates to, you know, different challenges that we all face in the business. And so if you could highlight just a couple of the challenges that you you all looked at and were able to successfully overcome in setting up Bestia. Sure. You know, we were coming out of an organization that had done a lot of things really well, but lacked that internal operating system. And so without that operating system, it became difficult to understand what was going to drive the future of this business. You know, was it going to be one individual and their kind of leanings, which isn't always bad. You just want to know it. Or is it going to be a strategic effort? Is there going to be a board behind the scenes? You know, all those things in terms of governance and all of it, we had gone through some pretty rocky trials coming out of that company. And so that's part of what was banding us all together was this drive of like, we don't want to just go recreate what we know because we're leaving what we know because we don't like it. We're kind of repelled by it to go do Mm. something different. We were able, we had kind of this unfair advantage, I like to call it, of we knew what had gone really, really well inside of that other company, and we wanted to have more of that. And then we knew what we absolutely did not like in that other company, and we knew we wanted to try to fix those before we even launched so that they weren't getting in the way moving forward causing you know us to, we call it hitting the ceiling when you're running into a challenge that's so big that it's like, you're not progressing the business past that point. We wanted to make sure we weren't going to hit our heads against the same ceiling that we were walking away from. Makes a lot of sense. I think of you and your partners, you guys have been great visionaries. You've really carved out a unique niche in the marketplace and really segmenting a a specific uh, investor-based niche, client-based niche. And that's, you know, physicians, healthcare professionals. As you look at that vision that you've created and then going forward, you know, what are the things that led you to that? What are the things that are driving you forward? And how are you expanding on that going forward? Well, first, Craig, that's an important part I cannot take any credit for. So I stand on the <laughs> shoulders of some giants in that area. And and what they were looking at as kind of young advisors in the wealth management space was this idea of how do we build an actual scalable business? And if you think about scale, a big part of scale is repetition. You have to be able to repeat it. And what a lot of advisors do is they really want to focus their energy and efforts on business owners. Why? Because that's where the bulk of the net worth ends up residing, at least in America. Business owners who have had their liquidity events tend to have the highest investable net worths of, in general, of most of the population. But what some of my prior business partners realized was it's really hard to reproduce working with business owners unless you've been doing it for a long time already. It's a little bit of a catch-22 because it may take 20 years for their liquidity event. And until that liquidity event, they may or may not be 
an outstanding client. And so the firms that we see and so many of us in the industry look up to, a lot of times what we don't see under the hood is maybe they're a legacy firm that a son took over for a father or something of those lines uh, like I came out of where they had 50 years of working with business owners. It was in that kind of fourth decade where they really took off and exploded because they finally had a big concentration of business owners having liquidity events. But prior to that fourth decade, it wasn't the same level of success. And so what my former business partners looked at is said, where is a market that could be reproducible because it's kind of consistent in terms of generating a certain level of assets to manage or planning complexity that would warrant a, you know, a nice comprehensive financial plan. And when they looked out at the market and surveyed it, what they really came to conclude was that doctors had all those qualities of building a scalable business that, you know, they were reproducible, you know, educational institutions are producing more physicians every single year going out into practice. And they did have a reasonable net worth outcome. And there were, you know, between physicians and dentists, there's about a million of them in America. Well, that allowed for the thought of scale. So it was really just a business decision from former business partners that we focus and specialize with doctors. And that's just the world we learned and came out of. So when we launched Vestia, we said that's where we're going to put our primary focus, although our systems and structures are really built to support any kind of high income, high net worth young family. And so we have expanded beyond physicians. I think today uh, physicians represent about 85% of our business and then business owners, some executives and people that have inherited some of their wealth have also kind of rounded out the other 15%. I know in talking to you in the early days of the formation of Vestia, it was really important that you had, you know, complete independent thought of creating lots of entities. And as you've created, you know, Vestia and established, you know, the way you operate, different entities in which you operate, how important was that to you looking at your vision and all of your partner's future going forward? Because you guys have created a lot of unique companies within companies. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Craig. Here's what we found. And I'm just a very data-driven individual. I don't get emotionally attached to too many decisions in business. And that's mm. good and bad. The good side of it is I believe ultimately in talking to the customer and making sure that whatever we build, it's meeting a need that that customer or that client has. And so we went out to clients and we said, hey, what services do you want us to do for you? And their answer was surprisingly consistent, very, very consistent. And I think this would qualify across most wealth management firms' clientele. Their answer was as much as you can do with excellence because we already trust you completely. And so that really set the tone for, okay, let's add on services, kind of a horizontal alignment, if they actually make sense for our clientele and if we can do it with excellence in a way that we can be reasonably profitable. And so that's always been our litmus test. And that led to a lot of services on our part. For example, a lot of fiduciary advisors have gotten completely away from insurance 
What we are hearing from our clients is we want you to do our insurance. We trust you. We know you're going to do it well. And we know you're not out there just to drive the biggest commission possible. And so I'm not saying fiduciary advisors that don't want to have anything to do with insurance are wrong. That's fine if that's how they want to operate. But that was not what our clients wanted from us. They wanted us to handle it as long as we could do it with excellence. And we could. So we have an insurance agency. Additionally, on top of that, they wanted our help in negotiating the financial aspect of their contracts with their employers. So we have a contract negotiation agency. Well, we had an expertise in it. We could do it with excellence. And our clients wanted us to be able to deliver that. So when we initially launched, we had an insurance agency, a contract negotiation arm, and then our registered investment advisory, which you know did comprehensive financial planning as well as asset management, and so that that was important to us as we were as we were launching. You know, as you talk about that niche of healthcare professionals, physicians, I know that really led you to a lot of conversations about investment opportunities, and I've been just really delighted to see the formation of Mammoth and the amount of thought that went into it, the rollout of the first couple of investments. Share with our audience, you know, what led you to that? Because again, I think this is such a, you know, another great example of, of being able to take advantage of the opportunity set within, within our industry, within a firm. Yeah. You know, Craig, one of the things that happened over the years, as you can imagine, we were working with several of the leading doctors around the country in various specialties. And I say leading just to give, you know, qualifier, like according to their peers. So we were working with several leading doctors and consistently over the last two decades, they were coming to us with ideas for like, hey, this is a new invention. I'd like to roll it out. Or this is an idea that I have. Or this is something my brother-in-law brought me or my college buddy. And should I invest in it? And our overall kind of fundamental premise became it's not if your client is going to want to do private investments or not. What we were experiencing was the higher the net worth, the likelihood they wanted to get involved with private investments was just going up and up and up. And in the independent space at the time, there was not a lot of great access that was out there. You know, the industry is still working to change that. So meanwhile, we have all these clients coming saying, I'm thinking about this private investment, this one. And we found ourselves in just this completely reactive position. And I don't like to be in a reactive position with our clients. We felt like we weren't serving them the way that they wanted to be served. And so the first step in that was getting our arms around what are the pieces of advising that we felt qualified to deliver on a private investment and then expanding our expertise where we didn't feel qualified. So that was kind of phase one. Second phase was we just turned down everything where somebody said, I want to go create this invention. We just said, that's not something we can help with because we didn't feel equipped to do it. And then about five years ago now, one of our clients actually brought us an opportunity and he said, you know, and this is a client that we'd looked at a lot of different investment opportunities before together, a leading physician in his specialty. And he said, I want to take half of my money and put it in this one company. And this is a guy that doesn't make rash decisions. He's super thoughtful, knows the industry inside and out. And so just more as a friend to him, 
I went on a due diligence warpath because I was just concerned for the guy. So I ended up meeting with the company, talking with their executive team several times, finding out what they were up to. Well, the end conclusion was I was actually so impressed that I called the company and said, hey, how much of my own money would you allow me to invest? And you know, we made sure the client did not do half of his money into one investment. You know, We did our job there. But I ended up investing and they called me back and said, you know, we've really been searching for a partner to run our investor relations because it's just a distraction for us. Is that something that you would be willing to do? Would you set up a special purpose vehicle for us? And my answer, knowing what this company was up to, was an immediate, absolutely. Then the moment we got off the phone, Craig, I had to go Google, what's a special purpose vehicle? (laughs) Because I had no clue what I was signing up for. And it turns out it was really simple. It's just an investment fund created to invest in one business at a time. Real simple. You know, you've dealt with those for decades. But that was how we dipped our feet into the waters. And I like to tell everybody, as a wealth manager, I am not recommending people rush out and build their own funds. I think very, very few firms should actually do that. For us, it was 20 years in the making. We'd already had some experience with private real estate funds. And this was kind of the next extension to that was to do some special purpose vehicles in the healthcare space that we knew. So we did. We ran investor relations for this company, ran their Series B and Series C funding rounds through special purpose vehicles. And along the way, they ended up getting a really, really significant FDA clearance that just paved the way for this massive scalable company. And we're still in the midst of some of that. So I don't want to you know, over talk about it, but it was a great home run to get started with. And I found this new passion because meanwhile, I'd been you know, I'd been in the advisor seat for over 20 years at that point. Mm-hmm. I was really ready for the next chapter personally. And my partners were doing such an incredible job running our day-to-day registered investment advisory firm and insurance agencies that they really said to me, hey, this is a great place for you to go make the next mark. And so I had my partner's blessing to go actually launch a healthcare venture capital firm with some outstanding partners that were leaders in their specialties, but do it in a way that actually also benefited our RIA by bringing in some clientele that we had previously not really reached into that same net worth stratosphere. And I'll give you an example real quick of that, Craig. So once we added access to venture capital, and it wasn't so much that we had our own fund, I think it was more just having venture capital. Yes. We started getting referred to just some really, really incredible clients. The first one I can think of, the client invested $100,000 in the venture capital fund, but we picked up a planning client, an investment management client with a $35 million net worth. And a week after that, we got a call from an investor that had put a million dollars in special purpose vehicles with us, but had a $25 million net worth and was looking for extended services beyond that. And I could just keep going on and on with the case studies, but having access to venture capital really opened up the door to a whole different level of net worth of our clientele. And we really haven't looked back and mammoth 
is out there. Mammoth Scientific is our healthcare venture capital fund. And then Mammoth Research is our platform for advisory firms that want to have access to really strong private investment opportunities for their clientele. Can you share how people can get a hold of Mammoth? Sure. The best way to reach out to us is through our website at mammoth.vc. That's VC for venture capital. If they go to mammoth.vc, there's a link for advisors to be able to reach out to us and we will help them understand, is there a place in their firm for a really robust private investment lineup? Whether or not that includes venture capital would be up to them. You know, you're hitting on an area that is just so near and dear to me. As you said, I'm very well of special purpose vehicles just from my background and dealing with alternatives for over a couple of decades. And I think so many advisors miss the boat by not at least looking at what an allocation and alternatives can mean for their clients. And I understand there were a lot of people who were burnt by subpar vehicles, their clients were burnt by them, and they've just shied away from them. But you're giving real life examples of what I've always believed. If you're not talking to your clients about alternatives, someone else is. Absolutely. And those someone else's are like a Vestia who brings unique ideas where a client who would invest 100000 in a VC appropriate allocation, but a Vestia gains a $35 million relationship because of the expertise or the ability to look at those type of uh, structures. We all agree, all terms aren't for everyone, but certainly those clients that have enough assets to where they can allocate assets to more illiquid investments, but those illiquid investments can add so much to the overall rates of return over their career. So I'm just really, really happy that you shared some real case studies of how Alternatives VC has affected your interaction with clients and prospects. Yeah, Craig, one of the things that I'm just a zealot of now is that it's truly not if your client is going to want to do private investments. It's a when. It's absolutely a when. Well, why is that? Because today, less than 10% of large U.S. companies are publicly traded. Over 90% of large U.S. companies today are privately owned. A lot of those not owned by the original founders. They're owned by private equity. And so many of us as advisors, we think diversification is so critical for our clients. But if we think of it from the macro concept of great, we might be using an index fund or an ETF or a DFA fund to get broad-based diversification across 10% of the space. I mean, that's just, as you think of it that way, it's mind-numbing. And so one of the things I'm such a zealot of now, Craig, is I hate that we call them alternatives. Mm. It makes it sound optional. And I'm really more and more of the belief that, you know, there's a reason institutional money managers for pension plans or foundations or endowments, et cetera. When you look at serious money and the way it's managed, almost universally, 20 to 50% of the portfolio is in these private investment opportunities or alternatives. And I think part of what we need to continue to do as an industry is provide a great channel and chassis for advisory firms to be able to have really strong access 
to those opportunities for their clientele. And, you know, that's what we're trying to accomplish at Mammoth Research. So with Mammoth Research, you know, this is access to a multitude of alternative investments, if you will. That's right, Craig. So we think our job is to go out and carefully curate opportunities that are really well suited for use with independent wealth management firms. You know, there's $5 trillion that's managed out there for independent firms. And there's very little of that that's in the private space. But when I talk to advisors and say, why is that? The number one answer is they just don't know how to go curate things and they don't want to get embarrassed with their client. And then the number two answer is they worry about how does it interface with compliance and what are their responsibilities as a fiduciary? And so we really built Mammoth Research on those two fundamental premises that our job is to go out and carefully curate, whether it's a private real estate fund or a private equity fund or uh, venture capital. You know, the only one that we manufacture in-house is our healthcare venture capital fund. Everything else, we go carefully curate it with a due diligence team that I'm very proud of. And then we try to provide what we believe are kind of the best in class opportunities for advisory firms on our platform. We don't want to be like Walmart where they have 700 choices. We want to be really selective and help guide them to specific opportunities that will be great for their clientele. So I know you're a technology advocate in all aspects of uh, business. And so I would imagine you've built an easy to adopt technology structure for people in which to invest. Yeah, we did, Craig. So my partners, Kim and Judd Mackerel, are just outstanding, really well known in the wealth tech space. And they are just so laser focused on user experience. You know, Kim's role is our chief operating officer overall holding company. And she just makes sure that system after system is there to support us. And then Judd's role as our chief experience officer is to make sure that whether it's a client directly or an advisory firm, that it's just an outstanding experience. And that's one of the struggles I had with the private investment landscape prior to Mammoth was that everywhere they could go, they could get access to private investments, but it was very much that Walmart experience. I'm going to go in, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the real estate aisle, and there's going to be 50 things here. And what we think is a much better experience is instead to have true matchmaking algorithms under the hood that are driving the advisor so that they're only seeing the things that would be the most likely to be beneficial for that specific client. And that's where we've gone that other platforms haven't previously gone is that individual client to match up the right opportunities for that client in a way that's really, really friendly to both the advisory firm and to the end client. Agreed. And congratulations on this new endeavor. I know you've already had early, early success. And I think this is, you know, the right product in the right platform at the right time, certainly where the registered investment advisory space has evolved. Maybe shifting gears a little bit, I know you're a big believer in there's wisdom in many counselors. You know, maybe to start kind of wrapping up our conversation today, you know, I know you have uh, utilized business coaches, you're an author, you've tapped into, you know, other coaches. As you look at your career, 
in some of the successes you, you've had. Who are some of those individuals that have been very instrumental to you in the past and certainly currently? I'd love for you to share you know, your thoughts around that. Yeah, thanks, Craig. You know, one of the things I just came to believe pretty early in my professional career is that everybody who is doing really outstanding things has some incredible support with them. Nobody's doing it alone. And, you know, even as I looked around at that stage, you know, Tiger Woods was just dominating everybody in golf. But you look at Tiger Woods and he still had a coach and he still had a caddy who was helping him figure out how he was going to approach the next putt. So even the top performers in any game out there have a coach. And I recognize that. And so pretty quickly, as I was moving from advisor only to firm leader, I realized, man, the only way that you can get good at something is to start when you stink at it. And that's, you know, it's kind of a paradox of life, Craig. It's, I tell my kids this all the time, like, you can't get good at it if you don't start when you stink at it. So we have so many advisors trying to move from advisor to firm leader. And those are very, very different skill sets. The concept of listening to people and trying to drive behavioral outcomes, those things absolutely are transferable. But there's a whole lot more that goes beyond the idea of being a leader than just being an advisor. And Craig, I have to say for your listeners that most of what I've learned, I've learned because I screwed it up along the way. And I try to tell everyone, I really don't believe in business that failure is a real thing unless you don't learn from whatever that mistake was. And so, you know, I wanted to learn from my mistakes as fast as I could, but I also realized getting the right people in my corner, whether that was our back office business partners, and I'm sure we'll talk about that and the role that true independence has played for our firm, things like that are huge or getting the right coach in an area of weakness to help take you to the next level. And the longest standing coach I've used in the industry is an incredible guy named Joe Lucas. It's L-U-K-A-C-S is his last name. And one of the things Joe challenged me right up front, the very first time we talked, he said, what is your R&D budget for the year? At that time, I was like, Joe, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you run a firm, correct? Yes. Okay. You run the budget. Yes. What's your R&D budget? Well, Joe, what would I spend that on? And he said, well, what's the product from your firm, Tommy? And it was such a profound question, Craig. And at first I was like, well, we do financial planning and you know, we do wealth management and all this special stuff for doctors. And he stopped me. He's like, no, no, Tommy, what's the product from your firm? And you know, I kept going, well, you know, we do some insurance. He's like, Tommy, what's the product from your firm? This was the answer that he wanted. And it's so true, Craig. The product was me and the other advisors and our team members that were directly serving the clients and had relationships with them. Those were the products. And so it's the people. And Joe's point was, how much are you putting in your budget for people development? Because your research and development budget as a firm needs to be in your people. It's you and it's 
all the other people that are in your firm. And it changed my life. That conversation changed my life as an advisor. And, you know, Joe said, look, at a bare minimum, you've got to be putting 5% of your budget into R&D, whether that's you or your people. I immediately saw the value in that and immediately hired Joe as my first R&D spend from that new budget line item I had allocated. And I've been working with him for over a decade ever since. And it has had just a tremendous and profound impact on where I am as a professional, as an advisor, as a business owner. So absolutely, I recommend to anyone getting that support around them. And the other way I've done it, Craig, is I have loved having business partners. And some people are really wired to be able to call every shot and make every decision. And those people should not have business partners. I've never needed to be the exclusive shot caller of anything. In fact, I don't want to be. I much rather want to be part of a really robust team. And so I have always welcomed the idea of having great business partners. And they have been my coaches and mentors along the way, just as much as anybody else, because they're invested in the same game. And at the end of the day, you know, they have your back. And so when they're seeing the world completely different as you, I finally learned to embrace that as important and necessary and good instead of being a bad thing. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point. As we talked early in Investia's launch, you know, there were certain things you knew you did well, your team did well, but you were really looking for partners to outsource. And of course, that's been a very overused term in our day. But certainly when we developed, you know, True Independence as a business platform, you know, our goals were truly to partner. And I'm glad you use that word. You know, you can outsource to service providers, but you can be in partnership with a service provider or a platform like ours. You know, share with our audience what the drivers were in your decision making and how that's evolved. Yeah, for sure, Craig. You know, it was really important to my partners and I that we got to control the client experience. We were leaving a place where we didn't have that same level of control. And for us, we really look at that as that is the ultimate legacy that firm owners are creating. It's that client experience. It's the way that they get to show up with their clients and handle that. And we wanted to be in control of that in a way that we previously had not been. And I know that resonates with a lot of advisors. Look, if anybody's listening and they're currently with a wirehouse or they're thinking, should I go independent, you know, things of that nature, I have to think advisors that are thinking about leaving that wirehouse or wherever they may be right now, the reason that they initially think about that is they're bumping against some stupid wall. And I don't have a better way to say it, Craig. They're bumping into something, whether it's unnecessary compliance or a lack of investment flexibility or not even able to charge to do financial planning. I've heard of this craziness or not allowed to set up email or use social media. They're just, they're running into something that is impeding their ability to deliver the client experience that they dream about. And that is why I believe advisors ultimately decide I want to go independent. And what 
always cracks me up a little bit about that, Craig, is especially if they're leaving like a wirehouse, what I often see them initially think will be the best bet is to move from the internal program at their wirehouse to the RIA channel at their wirehouse. And I always scratch my head a little bit, kind of thinking like, well, how is that going to solve your challenges of being able to ultimately deliver the client experience that you want to deliver? And when I push in with it, inevitably, the reason those advisors are thinking that way is, well, that way I don't have to repaper. The account just transfers over. And that way I don't have to. And yeah, there are some people that they really just should not be entrepreneurs. And if that's the case, then more power to you to move to the independent channel, maybe keep more of your revenue, maybe not have maybe more control over who your staff is. And if that's your primary driver, like awesome. If they are not allowing you to have control over who your staff is, like get out of there because I promise you, like nobody lives like that in our industry anymore. So don't do that especially if they're not allowing you to have great staff because that drives your legacy with your clients. And instead of getting goodwill to spend on getting referrals, you have to spend all your goodwill cleaning up for staff mistakes. Like that is not okay. So I want you to hear that, you know, if you're currently in that position. But once they've made that decision, Craig, that they want to drive their client experience like we had made that decision, Then they have to decide how much of that are we going to do in-house, in our own walls, uh, in our own structure, and how much of that are we going to outsource to somebody else that can do it more efficiently? And for us, it was really simple to think about that. If it related to direct client experience, we wanted to have some control over that. But any of the supporting functions, whether it be the financial function or the compliance function or a lot of the billing and receiving function or even technology infrastructure and technology support functions, none of those things were directly impacting our clients. And to us, it just seemed like a colossal waste of time. And so what we did, Craig, we went out and vetted most of the industry. You know, we had time to make a really thoughtful decision And there are a lot of places that allow kind of that freedom of independence, but not to be able to build the client experience that we wanted to build. And so I've had dozens and dozens of advisors now call me saying, I'm thinking about leaving, you know, my wirehouse or I'm thinking about leaving my other firm. What do you recommend? Well, the first thing I say is figure out your requirements. What are your requirements for your client experience? Start with that because your back office partner or your outsource partner, whatever you want to call it, if they can't help you with that client experience, if they can't get it to where you need it to be, then you're not doing yourself any favors by leaving a place that is impeding your client experience to go to a new place that's just impeding it differently. And for us, when we came up with our requirements list, True independence. And Craig, I just cannot thank your team enough. And Craig and I have no financial relationship. I have no ownership in true anything like that. We just think of them as our most important partner at Vestia because they take care of all those non-client facing, but still very essential functions that would just be distractions for us. 
So that's how we made the decision, Craig. It was all about what client experience do we want to drive? Why are we leaving this old place? Let's make sure that we can actually deliver that client experience we want to be able to deliver. And True Independence was who made that possible. No, I really appreciate that uh, perspective. One of my questions was, what advice would you give advisors? But I think you just, I think you put an exclamation point on that. You know, Tommy, let's wrap up. I, I'm always interested to hear from, uh, from folks like you, kind of a parting thought, and this could be business or other, but as you reflect back on, you know, some of the best advice you've been given or some of the best advice or kind of a parting thought that you'd like to leave, you know, feel free to expand. And I thank you for, for our time today. I appreciate it, Craig. First is, I think just having a true attitude of gratefulness has just been huge for me. There's no way I would have accomplished what I've been able to accomplish without incredible business partners along the way, without incredible back office partners like True Independence. I could go on and on. So that is a piece of it is just stepping back. And, you know, we're at the beginning of 2022 here. And it's just really giving me time to reflect and be thankful for having so many incredible people in my life. The second thing I would throw out is being absolutely intentional about what they are trying to accomplish. And I think what happens to most advisors is they get trapped in the whirlwind of the day-to-day business and they're never able to step back and work on the business. And some of the best mentoring and coaching I got was even at the very beginning, if you're not spending at least a half a day very intentionally working on the business, not in it, how do you expect to move forward and make progress? And I think what your listeners would find is the more and more successful firms they're dealing with and firm leaders, the way that ratio flips of time spent working on the business versus in it. What do I mean by that? One of the things your listeners have to decide is, do I want to be an advisor and not lead a company or do I want to lead a company? Because they're really different skill sets. And it doesn't mean they can't do both for a long time, but it definitely means the amount of time they spend in the business as an advisor versus on the business as the firm leader needs to shift and pivot. And, you know, if they can't even allocate a half a day a week to completely get all their client stuff off of their radar, then they have no business trying to actually lead the company because that's just a prerequisite. And what that ultimately leads to is just having a much more intentional path of how they're going to live life and operate. And the best coaching I ever got from Joe Lucas I called him one day and I was thinking about the year ahead. And I said, you know, Joe, I'm really struggling. You know, I'm not sure if I want to go after this goal financially for the company or this goal with my family. And I loved his response, Craig. It totally changed my outlook. He said, Tommy, why do you have to choose? And I had this limiting belief that I couldn't have a really, really successful family and a really, really successful business. And Joe's coaching was, you got to change your mindset and start Mm. asking, how can I have both? And 
I was able to look at it and figure out, oh, if I do this, this, and this, now I don't have to choose. And so that came from a very, very intentional starting place and some great coaching that helped me get there. Too many advisors have this mindset of, I have to choose between my family and my business. And I just don't buy into that at all. Hey, what great advice and what a great way to wrap up our session. You know, this has been the Indie Advisor with Tommy Martin with Vestia and Mammoth. Look forward to additional conversations down the road. Wish you nothing but great success and health in uh, 2022. Thanks for your participation today. Thanks for having me, Craig. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you liked this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.com.